So if if then if it actually has three contiguous sides of starch, now it's a taco. So Subway, for example, is selling tacos. They naturally. sell tacos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that instead of a instead of a hard taco shell, it's bread, but it works the same, right? So a hot dog is a taco. So under the under the and also if there's no starch at all, then it's a salad. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So for example, like a steak, that's a salad. Yep. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to episode 333 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I do all kinds of weird things. I'm Sam and I'm wondering, if it's 333 and it's half the number of the beast, which half of the beast is Oh, involved? left half for sure. Okay, good. Just want to check yeah, it out. I was thinking more Excellent. of, uh, is it? Is it the sagittal plane? Is that the one that like, like a, like a, how do, how do you even describe this in words? If a, a person's standing there in T pose, right? And Got they take it. a, mm-hmm. take a pane of glass that's and you, oriented oh. the same kind of way, you know? So like they could hug it, like they could, they could come to it and like, put their arms across it, you know? Yeah. Okay. And then okay. use that plane of glass to just cut them in half. You know? I guess you could say the Rude. front half or the back half. You could Ooh, probably I say see. that. Yeah. yeah. I think that, yeah, I think the metaphor, is it the sagittal plane? Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a name for each of these from like anatomy and stuff. So you could. We got your dorsal. Track, you, know? you got your ventral, uh, right? Ventral. Dorsal, ventral. Yeah. Dorsal's back. Uh-huh. Ventral's front. Yeah. You so think sagittal's dorsal. between? I think sagittal's between those two, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Interesting. Okay. Good. I got, I got at least some clarity. I'll wait. Mm-hmm. There's a carry on. Not so, a lot, sorry. but something. So which half of the beast? I think ventral. The, oh, wait. the ventral half. The ventral half. I assume it would emerge <laughs> face first. It doesn't seem like a ba- like it would back into a situation, sort of. You know what I mean? It's gonna more come yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind right? of like beast? it came in through its through its hell portal, right? But then the yeah, hell portal closed too early and cut its front half from its back half, mm. and it was like, oh dang it! That's what yep. we got now. Yep. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and Satan. <laughs> today is half Satan. October. Today's the front half of Satan. Today is October fourteenth, twenty twenty one. Spooky month, you know. We gotta. It's uh, yeah. We gotta get in there. Get in there. Uh, and before we go any further, we have a warning. There's gonna be profanity on this show, so enjoy. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at MoneyGrab.bscotch.net, whose money we grabbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the first thing we got to talk about today before we get into questions is Birdbath Watch 2021. Yeah. I can't recall if I talked about any of this saga yet uh, on the podcast. Uh, but the story we definitely is, talked about bears in relation to bird feeders. Yes. That one but, happened. So basically what I ended up doing is instead of going the bird seed route to attract a variety of creatures to my windows so I can look at them. Like a creepy person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I decided to go with the bird bath route because apparently birds need, mm. you know, some water. That's fresh, ideally. And then also like to clean themselves. So I was like, perfect. That means I don't have to like, don't have to fill up bird seed all the time. Don't have to worry about bears attacking stuff. You know, it seems like a win-win. There's not a lot of pools That's around good. here. Yeah. It seems like a good, easy thing. And you to don't do. have to put like spicy chili powder into your, into your bird, bird bath, bath correct. to keep the bears out. So, but what has happened is uh, I would say kind of a, that example we talk about on the podcast actually a lot about how like just because you built it doesn't mean anyone cares, you know? It turns out this applies yeah, to you gotta, the bird market as well. <laughs> yeah, what kind of market you market that thing? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. These birds are extremely discerning uh, customers. I don't even know if they've discovered it. I don't know how to market to the birds for one. Yeah, how does really discoverability want. work on uh, on this platform? 
That's the thing. Uh, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I thought like it's a big, it's a like a sort of a cement, you know, it's obvious. At least to me. Yeah, but is it obvious to shit? a bird what it is? Do they know what kind of experience they're going to have when they get, get when they get in there? Can they tell? Because they're on the platform, but they're flying through the air. That's the platform, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They're looking down at all of the land below them, and they're trying to mm-hmm. they're trying to find something that looks safe wet. and and maybe wet. Are they looking for something that's wet? Well, or can so you get wet. them in the door with something else? You know, this is and what then, I learned is that is that you moving water. Because first I just had like a pool of water out there and then no birds showed up for like two weeks. And I was like, yeah, gonna like disturb it. They're like, there's going to be yeah. too many mosquitoes in there. We don't want to fuck with that. Yeah. They're like, I don't want this shit. And so I was like, okay, fine. So I went to the bird store. I was like, look, I got this problem, you know, help me out. And they're like, oh, you need a water wiggler. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. I will buy it. Sell me it. So they sold me this water wiggler. It just runs on a, a big D battery. You just shove it in there. And it literally, it's just like a, it's like a half dome. You know, it's like the, I guess, you know, it's the ventral part of a sphere. That came through a hell portal. Okay, I think every that. half yeah. is the ventral part. <laughs> you know what I mean, it could S- be anybody. spheres. Spheres are like that. They're very tricky. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then on the bottom of it, it's got these little legs, and then smack in the middle is this motor that just literally wiggles a thing, just wiggles this little thing at like a billion yeah. miles an hour, and so you just set that in there, and then now the water's all wibbly wobbly. Okay, so I'm like wiggly, perfect. Right? That's now easier these- to maintain than like a pump and doing all that stuff. So that's interesting. Exactly. So yeah. I'm like, okay, perfect. So now these birds flying overhead are going to see wiggle, wiggling water, which apparently is supposed to be a hot ticket item. Okay. So, wiggling water for birds is like the screaming man facing to the right of, of app icons. Yeah, yeah, you know? It really is. They see is. it and they're like, I got to I gotta go download this this thing. Or it's Did like you find any, uh, it, any bird, bl- bird blurbs to like put out on the lawn? Like some nice this quotes. Is, this, that's quotes. the thing. Like I, I, I did do some uh, screaming as a crow. I have an app, a Merlin ID, which lets you like basically, tr- you know, I think I talked about this, tracking the birds in the neighborhood by song. And then you can play stuff. So I've been trying, I've been doing all, all sorts of weird shit, just being like, hey guys, there's water available if anybody wants them. My first customer is a month in. This is two weeks now after the water wiggler. Yeah, this business is really struggling, Sam. Yeah. I don't know. I'm looking out the window, uh, <laughs> still don't have any customers. And uh, and then a deer walks by and just drinks out of the bird bath. And I was like, this is not. So you're in a different genre than you thought you were. So you hit the, you just kind of hit the wrong. Yeah. Niche now I there. had to ask the question, like, do I pivot and do like a deer? Is this now yeah. a deer? Because then you could go all yeah. in on deer customers, right? Because then you can go and you can be like salt lake, boom, put the salt lake out there, right? Mm-hmm. Some sort oh, of a yeah. bear scaring mechanism that deer understand scares bears, right? Because mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. bears out there. So if a deer can come in here and be like, this is a safe space, wall down here, you know? Got, we'll have to answer the question, do deer like spicy food? Which I don't know if anyone's, I don't know if anyone has needed to ask that question because, you know, if you put out some spicy yeah. food, bears eat it, think, and then they're just like, fuck this place. most mammals, right? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So so then I see this deer come by. I'm like, okay, got that customer. Uh, didn't happen. And then it starts getting all mossy, you know? I'm like, ah, oh, now I got to go clean this water out. So go yep. clean the water out. Mm-hmm. Get like a beautiful new fresh stuff in there. Still no customers for another like two weeks. And then uh, I read that you got to throw some panties So you're, you're just burning capital. Yeah. Well, just yeah. burning time at this yeah. point, you know? Uh, well, now, and you're literally throwing pennies in it. You're just throwing money in it. Throwing, throwing good money. Out <laughs> but not just any pennies. Pennies from before 19, uh, I think, 83 is when they were actually still copper. Now they're like some weird zinc alloy thing. So who cares? So copper, of course, is, you know, antimicrobial. So you throw a few. Yeah, antibacterial. Yeah, if you throw a few pennies in there, it actually like sort of makes it less, it's much harder for moss and stuff to grow. So did that. Oh. And then finally, two days ago, sitting there having a meeting uh, with Seth, doing some crashing stuff. Cardinal 
Cardinal just comes swooping in, sort of like, you know, uh, almost like a speedboat hitting the hitting the water and then just starts flopping around, hanging out. And it was majestic and it was wonderful. And that's mm-hmm. still, though, the only customer that I've seen so far. So, you know what's kind of bothering me about this, mm. Sam, is that is the, was the birdbath already there or no, did you no, buy the bird? I got it. I like placed so, it in accordance to what the rules are like next to kind of near trees so birds can escape. You know, they don't feel so out in the open. All this shit. It's supposed yeah, to be so optimal. It sounds, you did all your market research. You know? I did. Yeah, but it sounds like it sounds like by default, a baseline birdbath is, ab- is absolutely non-functional. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, right? a, like, a standing dish of uh, of of stagnant, stagnant water. water you gotta, is not it's pay to win. You got to buy all the DLCs, right? To yeah, but like, yeah. why would somebody not fucking make a bird? Like, for example, one of the things they could do is they could just embed little sort of like copper, uh, you know, knobs. Like, yes, little little nubs or something into the base of the bird bath, so that like there. Now you don't have to throw handfuls of pre-1980 pennies into this mm-hmm. thing. And like, why doesn't it come with some kind of a wiggler thing yeah. that you can, you know, put- Why doesn't like, the whole weird that dish just vibrate? That would be dope, you know? Yeah, but, it's uh, weird mm-hmm. that, that this, this the whole point of this product is to attract birds to, you know, get in there. And it literally just doesn't, it doesn't at all doesn't do yeah. that one thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like, it's like when you go to Home Depot and you buy something and then it just makes you have to buy like- a bunch of other things. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, oh, it's yeah. just one it's of those. Journey. Yeah, so that's that's the yeah. uh, that's the bird path situation. I'll be updating. You know, that's that's how they coming. get you. Yeah, yeah. B- big bird bath is. Uh, oh, you know, they're very sinister. Really yeah, the hyphen the between the bird and the bath, though, not the big and the not big bird. bird. Yeah, baths. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like big pharma. You know, people don't talk about big bird bath quite as much, uh, but you know, they're just as bad. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Just as bad. Terrible. Uh, well, let's get into uh, questions. These questions come from your listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, just go there and ask it. And then make it a good one, and then people will vote on it. Highest upvoted question for today comes from Woland77, who says, What is your favorite sandwich? Oh, Favorite Bonus sandwich. points if you've tried to make it yourself, but it's never as good as when you buy it. Mm. I used to have a lot. Some, somebody asked me this a while ago, and I was alarmed that I was stumped because once I switched to vegetarian, I recognized that almost all of my sandwich selections had meat in them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't, I mean, the only like vegetarian, like totally vegetarian sandwich that I really know of is like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, Seth, I got a quest for you, buddy, because Snarf's, which is a sandwich shop in St. Louis, I think it might also be in Colorado. Snarf's has an eggplant Parmesan sandwich. Oh, eggplant, no way. I know, I know, I know you think, I know, I know you think it's going to be gross, okay? (laughs) Eggplant texture is not the best texture there is, I think. It's like eating a... Slime. Oh, it's like eating yeah. an eggplant. No, no, no not, yeah. not this one. That's what I'm saying. Because like, they grill it. They do something so it ends up having, you know, some actual texture to it instead of slime. Yeah, I still like things. eggplant, but, you know, it is. It has some work to do. Yeah, it's like it's okra, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, why is this so mucusy? Yeah, it's got its own thing going on. <laughs> Can you not? Can you not? But yeah, that well, now, sandwich I would well, recommend I, trying. I'll check it out. But I want to talk about, I want to talk about the cube rule of food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, so this kind of blew my mind because a lot of people, there was a, a debate a long time ago about whether a hot dog is a sandwich, right? Mm-hmm. 
this this sort of cleft the internet in twain. Okay, half of the people in the world were like, "Hot dog is a sandwich." Other half were like, "You maniac! Hot dog is just its own thing." It's the same thing with right? like, can you have an open face sandwich, or is that just something else now? Because you know it's missing the other is piece. That, of is that a pizza now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So the so somebody put together this thing called the Cube Rule of Food, where they sort of categorized foods based on the positioning of the starches, okay? Mm-hmm. So for example, if you've got something that has a starch on the top and a starch on the bottom and then stuff in the middle, that's a sandwich, right? But specifically, it doesn't have any starch on the sides. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no but hinge if you, if, starch. Yeah, it's right. only the top and bottom. So if if then, if it actually has three contiguous sides of starch, now it's a taco, or no, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a ta- so, so Subway, so a hot dog, for example, is selling tacos. Actually. They sell tacos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just that instead of a instead of a hard taco shell, it's bread, but it works the same, right? Mm-hmm. So a hot dog is a taco. So under the under the and also if there's no starch at all, then it's a salad. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So for example, like a steak, that's a salad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Because it doesn't have, but if you put like mashed potatoes on top of it and on the bottom of it, then now it's a sandwich. You know what I mean? What if you just have starch on top? That's it, uh, orientation doesn't matter. So that's still a uh, still. They call it. A, they call it. They call it a toast. A toast is when you've got yeah, one, starch on only one side. Got it. Right. Got it. But it doesn't matter. So, so for, for the cube rule of food, you basically say like orientation of the thing doesn't matter. Right. So, Got it. Right. Yeah. It's just about it's about how yeah. how the, the starches are positioned relative to one another. Got it. Yeah. So so if you've got something the that's wrapped planes. on four sides, conti- mm-hmm. you know, four contiguous sides, that's a that's called a sushi because it's like a sushi mm-hmm. roll, yep. right? Makes so it's uh, so like a burrito or like a pig in a blanket. That's like a sushi, mm-hmm. right? And then like a quiche is just open on the top only, and it's starch on all either sides. So like a like a, ah, so a pump, French a pie. silk pie yeah. is like a quiche. That's a quiche. Got right? it. So I really liked this. I like this categorization because it actually neatly sort of categorizes all kinds of things. The problem is that is that because they're using pre-existing words to define stuff like salad, mm-hmm. right? Then then it feels it feels wrong. Like it feels wrong to be like a hot dog is a taco, right? Because like then what is a taco? Mm-hmm. Also a taco. It's also a taco, but now you've sort of you've lost meaning of the word. But but under the cube rule of food, I would have to say my favorite sandwich is a quesadilla. Mm, which I is which is the, just cheese. Just want cheese. Yeah, it's cheese. It's a, it's a tortilla with cheese inside. So how do you feel tortilla. about grilled cheese? That's though. what I was going to ask. Yeah, because that's basically that's the same. Just another quesadilla. Uh, I I feel I. I like the quesadilla more because there's more cheese to starch ratio. You know, that's true. There's been so much cheese, cheese you put on things. Cheese know? is the star of the show, in my opinion. Yeah, but, I think uh, we used to. I used to make sandwiches most days for lunch because it's just easy to assemble, and it it always feels like you know, like you have a complete food pyramid. Like what a rare, what a rare thing that you could just put together where you're like, I have all of this stuff that you're supposed to have in a, you know in your whole day. Got the uh-huh. veg, got the according meat, to got the, the 1950s. Uh, according to the 1950s, like that's how I'm living yeah, my life. So let's make go. sure you <laughs> make sure you slap slap a Jolly Rancher on top of uh-huh. it to make it's sure you get, get the sweets, sugar and sweets part of the food yeah. pyramid. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would, I would toast this. So I I love making um uh, just like making sandwiches at home. So 
we were doing, we've been doing like a, getting those rotisserie chickens and then just ripping the, you know, ripping the yep. chicken off there. Throw that on a sandwich, mm-hmm. grill up some spinach and a variety of peppers, throw that on there, throw some mustard on it, tomatoes and some, and some pickles. Two big multi-grain. Like classic. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Classic I love sandwich. I'm here. I, any sandwich. I'm good. Let's go. Here for it. Yeah. Sandwiches are just a nice staple, you know, because like, because for your basic sandwich, all the components, like there's a large variety pre-packaged, right? Mm-hmm. Last have a disturbingly long shelf life, you know? So if yep. you want to have something you can just fall back on, it's like, well, I got some bread and I got some other shit in the fridge. Got like, some mayonnaise about six years ago. Somehow still yep. good. Yep. Uh, and But then you can always, then you can dress it up though. You know, you can make your own bread, still make a sandwich, but now you jack it up a notch, right? Mm-hmm. Toast and bread. You can try, you can, yeah, you can try all these alternatives to things, you know? So, <laughs> uh, so I, I think, so I like to go, I used to like to go all out when I would make sandwiches. Um, but, uh, I just don't enjoy making food mm. and I don't like the fact that I have to eat. Mm. I don't like it. Mm. I find it boring and my well, guts don't work that well. So I can't eat very much before I start to like feel like, you know, like things are now full and like not, and it's uncomfortable. So when you have to eat, you're kind of like, all right, chop, chop, let's, let's yeah, get I'm like, through okay, this. Fine. And then you have to like clean up infinite dishes every time, you know? So like, so it's the part, so but the nice thing about sandwiches is that they kind of minimize, you know, the mess yeah. and they minimize the time spend to do all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, so it's still one of my, one of my good go-tos, but um I'll, uh, if I can ever do something just interesting, you know, like some combo of flavors I haven't had before, then that's what I'm going to try to do. Um, otherwise, I've learned from my wife that I should go for trying to hit like sort of like the food pyramid, but like just the flavor profiles, you know, just try to, mm. try to get everything in, in there. there. Just get everything, you know. And uh, and then if you could top it all off with a runny egg, you know. Ooh, like, yeah. That's the shit. But th- those ones always kill my guts because like, because there's something about that extra little layer of volume of the, of the egg. And there's something about an egg mm-hmm. that makes it feel like I just <laughs> dropped a weight into my guts, you know, um, <laughs> but it's still worth it like a third of the time. So, uh, so, so you got to gamble on it. Yeah. There is a place here How- though. So speaking, so Sam mentioned this place snarfs that has this vegetarian yeah. sandwich. Mm-hmm. Good there's uh, uh, my wife's and my favorite uh, pizza place here called union loafers it was actually a bakery first. So they're just like, you know, bake really good bread. Um, and they just started kind of making pizzas because their bread was good and they just thought it would be fun, you know? And that, that kind of turned into one of their main things. Like the evening is pizzas and the rest of the day is, is baked goods. So super good pizza, super good bread. Um, but they, during the lunch hour, they do sandwiches. And I actually hadn't had them because I, I always find it weird to go buy a sandwich, you know? Because like, I can make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And... And it's rare to have <laughs> it's a sandwich out in the wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's really accessible, right? And, and like, and I'll, and I'll throw avocado on my sandwich. I'll, I'm going to do all that stuff. I'm going to do it up, you know? So it's hard for me to find something where mm. I'm like, yeah, that sandwich was worth the $10 I spent on it, yep. you know? Uh, but they have a variety of interesting sandwiches with fun flavor, flavor profiles. And they have a, a couple vegetarian ones, one of which I've now had multiple times because it's so good. And it's a, uh, it's a smoked beet sandwich. So the, so the star of the oh. show is like roasted smoked beet slices that are really thick, you know? And then it's got some like, uh, some sort supremacy. of a soured stuff a little bit, you know, like some kind of a, some kind of a, not a relish, that's the wrong word. What's the German stuff? Sauerkraut. Kraut, kra- yeah, it's got like a sauerkraut kind of stuff on it, you know? Um, and, then, and then a few other like odds and ends. Um, but it's just like a, 
it's it's got a meatiness to it because yeah, of I'm like intrigued. the smoke thing, you know. And uh, but it's got just a completely different flavor profile. But it kind of it still hits the vibe that I think of as a sandwich, right? So it, didn't, it doesn't feel like I'm eating a salad with bread around it. It just like right, feels right. like it's I'm a sandwich. sandwich. Yeah, and uh, and that thing is good. So. But this is why I always go for like, if I see something, I'm like, I have no idea what it would be like to eat that thing. Or I think I do. And it seems like it's something I wouldn't want, but like, why is it here then at this place that I trust, you know? So mm. now try. something I have a soapbox about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, can see it. I can see it building up when I was talking about beets. Uh, no, I'm okay with beets. Okay. I'm good with beets. But we're talking about ordering sandwich from like a, a nicer place, right? When, if you go to a, like a mid mid tier restaurant or higher, they're always going to have some kind of burger option, which is a sandwich. Are right. you talking about tall burgers? Yeah. I For some reason, they've all decided that because this place is fancy, we can't make a burger that is human edible. Okay, mm-hmm. we have to make a burger that is. Mm-hmm. We have to make a burger that only pythons can eat. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bun is a sphere. They just cut in half. The, it's a <laughs> fucking sphere, and then they're like, "Here, we put sixty-three different kinds of onion on it, and then there's like two layers of meat with cheese on top and the bottom." So and like, by the time it even gets to you, there's just stuff oozing out all over the place. I think you just you hit on the it. fact that uh, you know. Rich people are lizards. I think that's what isn't that the whole oh, yeah. conspiracy I think, theory? I mean, people have been talking about this, and I think I think spherical burgers at rich restaurants is probably the biggest indicator of this. Yeah, no human can unhinge their jaw enough to eat a thirty dollar hamburger. It is yes. the case I that when I, when I get <laughs> whether whether it's like home or anywhere, um, but if I if I get a food item that isn't accessible, you know, like it's hard to it's hard to eat it. Especially when it's hard to eat in the way that it looks like it was intended to be eaten. You know, it's like it's a, if sandwich. it's a sandwich that's really tall and like it doesn't compress, right? I, I get like I get viscerally. It's one of the few things I just get oh, yeah. angry about. I just get like actually mad because I'm like, it's like a bird bath without a wiggler. Like, yeah, you like, have one what, job what sandwich. Yeah. What if you did get in my what, mouth? <laughs> I think there's something about the implication that like I'm that also. Because I think this also comes from the idea of like fancy places, right? Where there's this, there's this general like feeling of that you're doing things wrong. You know, like if you go to a fancy place, you're like, oh, fuck, which am I using the right silverware? You know, are my hands in the right place? Did I say the right things? You know, all that stuff. And then you couple that with, and this this isn't just rich, uh, like a high-end restaurant thing. This is at every restaurant. Uh, But in that context in particular, when they couple that with bringing out a food item where you already feel like you're not sure if you're doing things right. And they bring this thing out that is not, it's not possible to eat it. It's not possible to eat it the way that they presented it to you as if it was supposed to be, Mm. you know. And then you're looking at it and you're like, you're like, what is the acceptable? What am I supposed to do? Yeah, how do I deconstruct right. this, but with etiquette yeah. appropriate to and then this I, and then context? I, yeah, and the part that I get, I get mad about is like, there's this practicality aspect of food, right? Where it's you're supposed to eat it, right? That's, that's you gotta it eat. You gotta and, eat it. And when when that aspect of it is not actually being handled, you know, uh, basically for presentation purposes or something, you know, then. I just get I just get mad because I'm like I you can make this look nice still without it having to be a thing I can't eat you know like and you've I, missed the point yeah I feel this way with like anytime I'm eating like a salad or soup something that has like big stuff in it where I'm like I don't want to have a mouthful like I don't want to eat this like giant piece of whatever this is or like or a long thing you know where I'm mm-hmm. like what did you, what did you want me to do I guess I just have to go cut it now right <laughs> so like but I feel uh, the same way about like I I do I personally have kind of a, a, a visceral reaction to things that are in that Venn diagram of of expensive slash fancy and also incredibly impractical. 
Yeah. Right. Like dress shoes. Uh, shoes have uh, a couple of jobs, right? Like they need to look good. They need to protect your feet from the elements and they need to allow you to walk. Yeah. Right. So like dress shoes somehow always hit this, this like this set of features where they're like, Hey, traction, get out of here. That's, with yeah, that's the know. main thing. They throw I don't away. get this. I honestly don't we're understand going, it all. We're yeah. going with a smooth, sir. It's like, it's like you're, the bottom is, of your shoe yeah, is, is like a hardwood floor. <laughs> this is really weird. Yeah. Cause like, I don't know if it's just men's stress shoes or if this is also the case with heels. Cause if your heels are well, their I mean, own thing as far heels, as. Yeah. Heels are horrible. Yeah. Horribly impractical. Yeah. But even like the fact that, that, that if I were to work at a place where I, this is like, I, I dropped out of law school in part because I just got even like, over time, I got more and more infuriated at the fact that being a lawyer means that you are, for some reason, just like steeped in this culture of having a lot of incredibly expensive yet stupidly impractical things like wearing a suit all the time, <laughs> always, right? Like, how, what, what, how do you clean a suit? Dry cleaner. You, got dry you, you, you take can't. it. You, you can't clean your own clothes and you got to go pay someone to do it. Well, know? there's a reason for it. Like, so, you know about the, like, the thing of kid gloves? Right, which kid meaning baby goat skin gloves was actually what kid gloves means. Um, Um, In case you didn't know that, (laughs) Uh, but the the idea of kid gloves and the reason there's like sayings about it, right, is because the whole point of kid gloves is that you can't do anything while wearing them. You can't touch stuff because they get like because they're white and they get get destroyed, and they're not like they're not there to protect your hands. Like their whole point is to be a clean. To make a statement, and this, but what is the statement being? The statement that's being made is I don't have to do things. That's the statement that's being yeah, made, right? Yeah, I'm so rich. Yeah, in the case yeah. of like, what does it mean where you're wearing like dress shoes? Where, because like the thing, and of course it depends on a lot of variables, right? But a thing that is true of a lot of these kinds of clothing items and stuff is that they're they're very easy to damage and the damage is very visible when it happens, right? And expensive. And very expensive. And again, it's the idea is because like, by you not damaging it yet, right? Uh, but also wearing something that could just be destroyed if you just like accidentally kick something a little bit. You know, or if you like, your, if your foot catches under a stair or whatever, right? It's just destroyed now, right? That's you showing that that's fine. I, I can just buy care. another pair of these, right? It doesn't matter. And, Honestly, yeah, and by, by you having about- having no traction, that means I can just get to walk on flat surfaces. You know? Yeah, I never have to try to but move. Honestly, I never have to move fast. That's the thing. Even anything. even like the most. I think the thing is, I like, I don't hardly care about all the fashion, like fashion related aspects of it. But the fact that like in a in a men's dress shoe. When you're on, when you're in a fancy place, which typically has flat, polished floors, right? So a hardwood floor, yeah. I don't know, like a dancing surface, whatever, like a a nice hotel lobby or something. Uh, you cannot stick to the ground like at all, which just mm-hmm. feels like a whole other category of problematic stuff. You know what I mean? Like I could, uh, you could opt in for for the fashion reasons as far as like you know, the, look how fancy I am, I got all this stuff. But like if you go fall down, break a hip, I bought these. I remember yeah, I went yeah. to one of the high school dances I went to. Bought these new shoes, of course, you know, feeling all cool. And it hit ice in Iowa the uh, uh, day Toast. of. <laughs> went there and then, uh, yeah, was like trying to get into the building. Mm-hmm. And like I couldn't get, it was a ramp that was uh, like the main sort of entry point. I couldn't 
like I had to use the railing and sort of like slide my body up. <laughs> just plant your feet and just yeah, slide like, your way up. Because I couldn't walk up these these and like even women in heels were going past me without any trouble because most of them had like little they had little. At least they've got a they've got a spike on the bottom. Yeah, pretty like an ice climbing which, spike, know, I guess. But is, like, is the worst thing to have in all scenarios other than ice climbing. So true. at least that was very. But, I mean, but it's true for, it's true for <laughs> or appears to be true for women's shoes in general. Because I know my wife complains about this constantly of trying to find shoes that have traction. It's just like men's shoes outside of dress shoes by default, like have lots of traction almost always, right? Um, but apparently, yeah, but I don't get it because like it's the bottom of the, uh, it's the part of the shoe that generally people don't see much of, right? Mm-hmm. So like, make it rubber. Put some kind of well. You know, importantly, like, it doesn't need to be like. It's not, I'm not talking about like a Docker shoe where there's like an inch of rubber traction. So like literally, that. if you just roughened it so that I can yeah. stick to things, it's like a thumbprint. Like my thumb doesn't look like a yeah. damn shoe. Like, but it sticks to everything. You know, you could grab stuff with it because it's always like a like a, like a gecko like a, toe. Yeah, <laughs> give me some gecko shoes. Damn it! What is this? Well, this is what I, I really like because there are a handful of because like of course we're you know we're speaking for. You know, broadly here, right? Yeah, because um, that's that's the typical experience that you're going to have out there. But there are there are places that actually cater to like that. Try to hit that tier of like it feels like you're dressing up the way that you know everybody's telling you you're supposed to, right? But you still get to have that practicality aspect of like mm-hmm. you can move around. Oh and yeah, do things you know. So uh, it's like so for me, like the like the place that I go to for shoes now is Johnson and Murphy. It's the only place. They have this like fun, and, th- and sometimes it gets too weird for me because it'll be like the top half looks like a dress shoe, and the bottom half looks like a sneaker. You know, like it, like it really <laughs> too far. Yeah, they sometimes like, but they're but, exploring the whole but space. It's still fun, you know. Like if I saw if I saw somebody else wearing those, I'd be like, that's dope, you know. But mm-hmm. like, uh, but they just because they they try to they try to actually make that happen. And that's like, so it's that's like the, the mullet that they've of shoes. <laughs> yeah, right. business on tap, party on the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah so. It's, and, there, and there's and there's 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 this kind of thing out there for like everything, right? And yeah. uh, and I feel like there's more of it today, or at least it's easier to find. Definitely, because um, yeah. I think uh, I think that's kind of a more general thing that's happening is this sort of this understanding that you don't have to go to the extreme. You know, you don't. Yeah. If you want to, yeah, actually, look yeah, nice, gotta, you don't have to buy a five thousand dollar outfit that you can't move around in. You know. Like there's, yeah, I've got, I've actually got a few uh, dress shirts now that are barely more expensive than my t-shirts, and they they feel a lot like um, like the kind of material of like Under Armour sort of, mm-hmm. right? Like they're they're almost like made of this like. Yeah, it's it was like you always get hot. You always get hot when you're wearing like dress clothes, you know. Um, but they just they just do not wrinkle. Mm-hmm. They feel super comfortable. I could just throw them in the wash, no problem, you know. And, and they they look great. They don't chafe. Like, yeah, yeah. Like let's maybe aim for that. Aim for the mm-hmm. aim for that level of of uh, practicality. So anyways. yeah, just, yeah. Practical stuff that looks like I, I think uh, my wife and I talked about this recently too. For it's it's related but slightly tangential. But with medical devices, you know, like braces and uh, like things mm-hmm. to on your hand and stuff, you know, and how how bizarre it's the same thing again. Like there's this weird distinction between like function and form that everybody's making all the time where they just like go for one or the other, one extreme or the other. That's it. Yep. And this is particularly right. true for <laughs> assistive for medical, medical devices of all kinds. Right. Where they like, they just don't, cause you go to a place and they have like, then they have like every shade of makeup for every skin tone in the whole universe. Right. You like mm-hmm. see that and you go to the band-aids and it's like, Oh, here's like, Here's, here's one white person bandaid, and that's, like, that's <laughs> and, uh, and but then you see this with like with anything. So stuff that people have to wear, like people's walkers, right? Like 
Like if you think of a person with a walker, it's like you're metal rebar. Like, someone bent yeah, you're in their like shed. Somebody yeah. just like pounded with a hammer, like a piece of metal <laughs> together, and like and the, someone's like walking around with it. And they have to they have to stick tennis balls on the bottom of it. Yeah. Right? So like, they, yeah. Why? It, it doesn't like the fucking bath, work without you know? it. Yeah. yeah. Why, why doesn't it come with some mechanism? Like everybody knows this is a problem. Well, well right? the, and the problem is actually those walkers, they have like a rubber uh, like foot on them on the front, yeah. which just, which, which can't Too slide. Right? Yeah, it's all so, if, so yeah. So there's somebody who needs a walker. It's because they have a hard time uh, like lifting themselves up, which means they're leaning on it and putting pressure mm-hmm. down on it. And oftentimes they will be sliding it forwards. Mm-hmm. Right. So like if it has fucking rubber feet on the front of it. <laughs> but then we get to the point where it's like, okay, now is it a legal thing where they're like, well, we know that's actually what people want to do. It's like Q-tips, you know, mm, they're like, right, right. don't put these in your ears. You're like, this is what these are for though. That's, that is what they're for. It's for cleaning mm-hmm. your ears out. Right. But they say, don't do it. Cause that way, if you stab yourself in the brain, they can say, you know, <laughs> that was your fault. And we told you not. Yeah. But also like every doctor is always like, don't stick Q-tips in your ears. And I'm thinking like, are you not doing that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's not doing that? Seems unlikely. Who's not? It seems unlikely. I mean, maybe. Maybe they just, maybe they, because also doctors, one of the things I always remember fondly is is dad talking about how he hated Thanksgiving because he always had to go into the hospital <laughs> to get, he's a surgeon. He has to go every Thanksgiving and rescue three to five people who ate too big of pieces of meat that got lodged into their throat. <laughs> And so it's like, they just just like inhaled a whole turkey and now they're going to die because they can't swallow and they also can't throw up because it's just wedged in their esophagus. And so you need a surgeon or someone to get in there and do some stuff. And I actually actually saw him do, because I I went in and shot him a few times in like college, I think. And I saw him do, I saw him deal with one of these. Like they had to come in and the guy, the guy's just sitting up because he did an endoscopy down the, down the the mouth. Right. So you can still breathe, right? It's like stuck. Yeah, yeah, they're still breathing through your nose. And then, yeah. but they like, but they, they just gas you with the stuff that like knocks you out very lightly, but instantly, you know? So like, they'll start to like kind of groggily start making noises and like, just like shock them again. And, and I've had this done to me also. So I know that I don't remember anything that happened. Um, yeah. But, uh, but so he's like, cause, they, cause the guy came in and he's like, I can't swallow. And you know, like, he's just like, he's, he's just like spitting into a cup cause he can't swallow a spit, you know, this, hmm. this whole thing. So he comes in and then, you know, he gets scoped and then there's just like, there's just a big piece of meat, just like in the middle of the guy's throat, just like there, uh. you know? And, uh, and then it was, it was, this was like marked in my memory because it was so amusing. Cause then our, our dad doesn't, uh, filter, you know, the, the things that he says. Mm-hmm. And so he's just like <laughs> screaming at how gross this is. <laughs> this is happening. And, uh, and then talking about how people need to chew and, you know, but very, imagine your surgeon just screaming. Screaming while he's like digging out the meat. He's probably like, "Oh my god, just watch this shoe, come on!" And then, but then I was like, (laughs) so I was looking at this and I was like, "What do you do about this?" Because like, I'm thinking of like, "Oh, this is like medicine, you know? We're doing this like fancy shit, this like endoscope in there, whatever." Right? And uh, and then he just he just pushes it. Just pushes just it down it the rest of the way. Just with, like pushes with it the camera, stomach, with the camera, you know, just like pokes it. The rest just of the poke way. it down there. And I was like, okay, yeah, that no, that that makes that sense. would do it. Yeah. But yeah, it was actually I mean, like there was that, and then and that same day we went the other way in somebody, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just like a colonoscopy kind of a thing, right? But they but they go all through and like check stuff out, and there were like three diverticula, which I had not heard of until then, which are it's basically a pocket. It's a pocket. It's a basically a place. If you imagine a like a weak spot in a balloon, if it were to balloon into another balloon, you know, kind of like, mm-hmm. right? It's like that same idea. It's with your intestines, right? Your intestines are yeah. a tube. Now imagine a little like bubble comes out. 
And then stuff gets trapped there and then festers. So these are dangerous things that you can develop over time. But how do you develop them? Almost exclusively by eating meat that you don't chew enough, right? And uh, so <laughs> it's so a Midwestern disease. Yeah, it was no. the same day. I had these lessons like grilled into me in this very like visual, visceral, horrible way where I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to chew the shit out of my food. You know, from, from yeah, but think about, think about then like the, the, the likelihood of any one person uh, needing to go to the hospital because they, you know, just like swallowed a whole rotisserie chicken, right? It's very low. Yeah. Very low. But, right? a but lot if you're a doctor, it to be. Yeah. It's a lot higher than it ought to be. But then if you're a doctor, you're just seeing this shit all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> you know? So I wonder, like, Q tips are probably the same kind of thing where doctors are always like, don't put Q tips in your ears. You're going to rupture your, blah, blah, blah. Except, like, maybe like one out of, I don't know, 10,000 people are going to do that once, you know, in their life. But I mean, like, I've, yeah, I've poked myself too hard in the ear. You know, I've done that before. Very, yeah. very uncomfortable. Got to find your limits, you know. Gotta find you your gotta, limits. <laughs> yeah, that's how you grow as a person, yeah. you know. You, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like as a doctor, you're going to, it's the survivorship bias or whatever, right? Like you're only mm-hmm. going to see the samples of the people who fucked it up because you're the person who they go to when it, it happens. So yeah. Anyway, so let's get on to the next question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess quesadilla, quesadilla is my answer to the <laughs> mm-hmm. question. Uh, I can't even remember where we started. That was a, it was a journey. Astro Beef asks, what are your thoughts on hiring contract workers? Have you considered it before? And if so, what are some of the pros and cons that come to mind? I ask as a solo dev considering contracting people from sites like Upwork. Mm. Uh, so yes, I... So I've I've hired a few people from Upwork for a little like one off, uh, mostly for things that I didn't understand that I didn't want to have to take like two weeks to figure out yeah. on my own. Where I'd just be like, let me go find somebody who knows about this and just like pay him for a few hours to like to you know figure it out. Uh, which has been a pretty helpful because it, it turned out that they didn't know more than me each time, which was a little frustrating. But they knew the same kinds of stuff that I did and had a little bit of extra like domain specific knowledge, so that. Uh, even though they weren't able to like directly answer, the two of us together were able to really rapidly get to what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah, still you paid. Doing. You paid for a sounding. I paid. Board, yeah, I paid for a, a mirror, but somebody who um, pairing basically. Right? Yeah, it was basically paid for pairing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so I found that to be useful. Um, we've had many, many, many discussions over the years about how to deal with hiring people and how to deal with work that we think we want to get done or need to, or think we need to get done and whether or not we should do it or can we just not do it at all or should we hire somebody? Is this, is this a full-time thing? Is it a contract thing, right? And there's there's a lot that goes into that. And I think the big one on the side of whether or not we want somebody, not as a contractor, but as like an employee, um, the, the biggest concern that's always there as, with a really small team is if the work we hire them to do f- at some point because of the cyclical nature of the type of work that goes into game dev at some point falls below like what a full-time job is, right? Then what do we do? Mm-hmm. And especially for jobs that might like have that happen for six months or a year, right? Cause like, cause the phases of game dev take a long time and they're very different. Um, and, uh, and so the trade-off basically that's kind of like, I've understood it over, over all the time is that the thing you get with a, with a long-term employee is that you onboard them once. Right. And unless you like really don't need that job later on for like really long periods of time, the fact that you don't have to onboard somebody else is just worth the over. It's just worth the overhead because onboarding is really slow and really expensive and uh, and takes a lot of time from everybody else on the team. Right. And it's what you have to do 
every time you bring a contractor exactly. into a project. A contractor, right, because the thing you save with a contractor is now you don't have to worry about this question of like, oh, well, I have to fire this person because that sucks, right? Or uh, what happens when we're in a different cycle of the game? Uh, what happens if they just decide to leave after I've invested all this time, right? Um, and, uh, and they typically also, like a contractor will typically have a broader portfolio because they've worked on lots of stuff and it's more visible and it's easier to get a sense of like, can they do what you need them to do? Um, so yeah, I think about so it's it's hard, like, maybe like risk containment where it's like, if, uh, you pay a little to me, you basically are actually paying a premium typically in terms of like the short term for yeah. a contractor. Yeah. Contractors to, premium in the short term. Yeah. To absorb the risk associated with a, a long-term employee, because the yeah. truth is like you can onboard someone and like, yeah, that's great. But you know, people hop jobs typically every three years. So yeah, you really always have to keep that in mind as far as, and it's not even like, and that's like, that's average case of course. And well, you want to have whatever retention or whatever else you got going on with your own company really good. The truth is like people leave for all sorts of reasons. They're not necessarily because not necessarily they don't even like what they're doing, just like other life. reasons entirely. And so yeah. that's, I think where it always gets really, really challenging is being able to say like, okay, yeah, I'm bringing a full-time person. You invest way more energy actually in the, in the long term over fully integrating them with the team, whatever else. Uh, figure out how to make use of their time when cyclically stuff has a bit of a downswing for them. Uh, knowing then that at some point they're, they, I mean, they're likely to leave at some point, right? Um, not every, mm-hmm. Basically, like the, the only people who you know are going to be around sort of in 10, 20 years time are like basically founder level people typically. And then and then you just sort of try to set up your studio such or your company such that retention is one of the main, main goals of it and long-term sustainability so that you can have people who also are along for the ride, but it's really hard to count on that. It, it is, really but, it, but this is also true with contractors, right? Because cause the cost, because the... The upfront cost that goes into hiring anybody is anybody new is the onboarding guest, but that, that's after you've already got the person. Mm-hmm. But the first part, just trying to get find that person, right? And that shit is hard and yep. it's really time costly, which is also then just money costly, right? It's really really expensive, and that's also true for contractors because contractors are just regular people, just like other employees are, right? They're just mm-hmm. they're just regular fucking people, and so they hit the whole spectrum of whether they're not they're good at the stuff they claim they're good at. Uh, and then, of course, the question of whether or not any given person in the whole fucking world is good at the specific weird combo of things that you and your company are doing. Because you know, mm-hmm. nothing is literally just the same, right? And so the challenge of evaluating somebody, um, putting out a job call, like all this kind of stuff, right, uh, is it's just really fucking expensive. And so with a contractor pool, right, because contractors also, the same way that like an employee might leave at any time, a contractor might end up starting a company getting a full-time job somewhere or whatever. Like, so they also, like they all, they all disappear, right? Uh, at some point. And so it's really hard. It's a really, yeah, I think, I think it's just a really hard question to, to tease out. You and just got to think about all the, ang- all the angles. Yeah. And it, it just depends on what you're trying to case. do. Yeah. It just really depends on what you're trying to do. And, and if there's like, is there a contractor pool out there, right? That can do that thing. Um, if a person did, like if you hired them full-time and invested in all like the training and stuff and, and it got them to do a nice, heavy context position. Um, if they did leave six months or a year later, right? Does that still put you in a better position than if you hired, had to go through the process of trying to find a contractor and onboard and do all that stuff, right? Yeah. I think when it, I think the there's biggest- no, There's no obvious answer. The most uh, important, I think, framing for me personally when it comes to like the hiring a person uh, contractor thing is basically that you have to actually give the same amount of care to recognizing that you're, you are actually collaborating with the contractor. You're not, like, it's not possible. I think there's, there's a lot of this idea that like, oh yeah, I could just say like, oh yeah, hey, I need some 3D models of like a bear or whatever. 
uh, yeah. that like yeah. sits somewhere. Like the, you can't like handoff of the work is is extremely challenging in all contexts. And just because someone has the expertise to like ask you a billion questions to be like, hey, well, what do you mean by sit? You know, with a bear pose or whatever. Like, um, like even though someone might have the ability to ask you a bunch of questions, if you're viewing it as a thing that you can actually hand off completely. Uh, it's not true and you'll be very disappointed. The reality is yeah. there's a lot of work in the collaboration with the person to get the work that you couldn't do yourself, but you can you can do the sort of direction of yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, the, the time where it makes sense to hire a contractor for all those reasons is when you, there's something you need done and it's a finite, it's a project basically, but it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a finite project that has an endpoint and there's not something else that also needs to be done that's like in a similar kind of a context, right? Um, and where there are people out there who just will have, they're like, there's a contractor pool out there that just has that skill set because it's really well defined mm-hmm. and it's common. You're not doing anything particularly weird, right? Um, like that's the case where like contractor is almost always going to be the right move if you can mm-hmm. find one. Um, but uh, I think we kind of think about this. We talked at some point in the past about the idea of like idling on something, right? Where where you're just kind of you're kind of burning a little bit of fuel at all times, right? But you're doing it so that you're just ready. And, and that's one of the things I th- that like for me is really important about differentiating between what needs to be an employee for the long term or, you know, our goal being for the long term uh, versus a contractor is if we need that person to do something, are they there? Can they just do it? Right. Or mm-hmm. do we now have to get in a queue or do we now have to go out and like search for somebody? Right. Um, and, and we've, and we've had this, it, it, we, we've not had this in a way that like hurt us in any particular capacity. Right. But like, because we've contracted out our box art, like these, again, one-off projects, right? And the and, sound, uh, I mean, the sound music and the sound. Stuff. Yeah. Yep. And the, and the sound is a little bit different because we have a particular kind of license agreement with, with uh, Fab Bard. Yeah. Uh, but it's still the, the same deal, right? Which is, we're not, we're not in the front of the line for like the stuff that they're mm-hmm. doing because what they do for us is very part-time. Um, and uh, when we wanted to get, when we wanted to get our box art made, um, Sam had to go through this process of like trying to find people that might be able to do it, like look through all the portfolios, like found somebody, negotiated what that would look like for cost, negotiated the contract so we know about it, get ownership in a way that makes sense. And, and then wait in a five week queue, right? <laughs> before we got, before we got the thing. And, uh, and yeah, that's still better than having a box artist on staff because right. we need box art once every few years, right? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So that's so again, it's one of those scenarios. Where, but but like, but it, it is, it's not just an obvious this or that thing, um, yeah. and uh, and I think the thing that leads people astray the most is the sense that a contractor is going to be somehow less work or less costly, right? For you, yeah. I was thinking about it. It's just time box work. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. It's not like a permanent thing you're signing on for so much as like. Well, and I think one advantage of the of the contractor is that it it depersonalizes a lot of things in a way that some people find helpful for their professional work. So it's like business so like, to business. More yeah. You're like, you're, you're just, you're able to think to yourself, like I'm just paying this person to make this thing for me. Right. And so like, I don't need to interview them a bunch and I don't need their life story. They don't care about my life story. We're like, this is just a simple exchange mm-hmm. of services for money. And then we can both move on. Right. Um, but of course, if you're hiring someone full time, you do care about all those things about that person and, and you're interacting with them all the time uh, on tons of different things. When you're for a contractor, um, you, you still, yeah, that's one of the things I think it's easy to fall into that trap, right? But while you now are kind of operating as a business with another business, um, the fact is it's still just a couple of people, you know, it's just together, a couple right? of people. And, yeah. and so you're still, but, but now you don't know, right? You don't know that person's like 
what accommodations they need, what their preferences are. They don't know yours, right? Uh, you don't know if like, if you don't hear from them for like a few days and like they're non-responsive, does that mean they're, does that, is that bad or is that not a problem? Like, like what mm-hmm. you don't yeah. know these things mean until, cause you, this is all stuff that you learn about people over time. And you, and then if, and then I think as soon as you have a long-term contractor, unless it's for part-time work, like very part-time work, uh, then I don't see a reason to do that besides trying to save money that, you're spending on uh, like health insurance and other things. Well, yeah. Well, I think it, it works well. So, for example, like we said, what we have with with Fat Bard, which yep. is which is we don't need forty hours a week. No, it's of, very part time yep. of sound work, and also um, they have a lot of different projects that they work on. Right. Mm-hmm. So they work on tons of different games at the same time, and they you know will spend X number of hours each week working on each game. Um, and we kind of need that throughout the lifetime of a project. So we're, we need that like small amount of work every week, but just for the years, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so, so in that case, it makes sense. But one of the one of the other traps that you can fall into is, which we have done in the past, is saying like, well, I need five hours a week of this work. Uh, so I'm just going to find this like company that handles this kind of work and I'll just, I'll contract it out to them. One of the things to watch out for in that case is, is the churn problem because what'll happen is you'll be working with somebody from that company on the project for Mm -hmm. a couple months, whatever. And then that person gets moved to a new project or they leave the company or whatever and suddenly, maybe like your your project suddenly gets lost in the mix, right? And then you're scrambling to like get them to get somebody back onto your project, or they do get somebody back onto your project, but now that person has no context for all the mm-hmm. conversations that you've had in the it's past. Got to rebuild it all, and you find yourself re-explaining stuff that was established long ago, and guiding this person through the documentation or whatever. Yeah, and so really, and, like, and really good companies like will have that built into what they're trying to do, but that requires an amount of scale that yeah. To be able to put yeah. like a bureaucracy like that together, that just isn't available for most of the kinds of things that you as a small business owner can afford, right? Because mm-hmm. as soon as you're talking like enterprise level shit, where it's like a mega company talking to a mega company, like people are cogs there, right? Like so, it's like there's there, it's basically actually bureaucracies interacting with each other according to sets of rules, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's like it's still a shit show, right? But there's a thing that can <laughs> just kind processes of processes in place. There's processes for yeah. that, right? Yeah. And of course, again, I'm speaking broadly, and, and I'm sure that's yes. not always true. Um, but as soon as you have to set that small company level though, cause if you're like, if you're, so our, uh, our localization team is a good example. Um, it's a small company. There was one, one guy who's a project manager that like I most interacted with there and they have a pool of contractors around the globe to do all their localization work. Um, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty stable pool and that it lasts, it's like it, the turnover seems to be on like at least a six months to year long kind of a period. It's not just like Constant, right? Constant. And they don't have a ton of people. And they, they put one person, like the, their goal is to put a person or a pair of people or whatever it is you need onto one project until it's done, right? And if somebody else comes in, like, oh, I also need Chinese, right? And and the other and then the person who's been doing it for some other, other team um, has a little slack. They'll be like, I guess we have to go get somebody else though because we're going to still need you on this project, right? Mm-hmm. But the amount of management required to do that is enormous, Right. And, and that's kind of like, that's what you're paying for then in that case where it's like you going business to business is you're basically paying for them to deal with all of these hard problems. So these questions about yep. how do you hire people? How do you manage contractors? All that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. The answer is it's extremely hard and there are a lot of traps because 
The trap is always that if you think you're going to save time somehow by taking one decision over the other, you're probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. The last the last easy trap is don't forget about payroll tax. If you're oh, yeah. evaluating if you're evaluating the cost of hiring someone versus contracting and the contractor is like 10% uh, cheaper or whatever, right? Or sorry, it would be like 10% cheaper to hire someone, right? Mm-hmm. Well, don't forget about that payroll tax because it's yeah. it's added on top, right? Yeah, con- contractors are, they seem more expensive until you, you know, added all the rest of the stuff. But again, yeah, to- time is the most expensive thing that all of us are, whether you're, whether you're running a company and, it's, and it actually is financial, right? Uh, or you're not, and it's some combination of financial versus opportunity cost versus whatever, right? In all cases, the most costly thing that you have is time. And so if you're ever trying to save a buck by spending time, um, unless you have to, like the, at the beginning of what we were doing, we absolutely had to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, we didn't have any money to spend. Um, but as soon as you can, like, and, and the, the problem is, is if you, as you're growing out of that, as you start to find some level of success, it's still really hard to feel like, your time is more valuable than the money, right? Mm-hmm. But that's actually where, because it's all about opportunity cost. What, what could yep. you, what could you have been doing with that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just so easy. It's so easy to think, oh well, like it'll it'll take us, it'll cost us, you know, twenty percent less if we do things this way. It'll take six times as many hours. Yeah, it'll take a lot more hours. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, well then it's a bit, it's it's expensive. Uh, yep. Yeah. So there's a lot of traps. Just try to think about all the angles. Think about all the numbers and and what you need. Long term, short term. Is this a single project? Is it you know just uh, just try just try to think think through all. In of the it. end, it's the same as everything out. else. Which is the only thing that actually matters is that the two entities involved have clear communication. Everybody understands what is supposed to be happening. Everybody agrees, and uh, and the terms are lined up. The terms of that relationship, in this case, a business relationship, right, are lined up according to what everybody is trying to do. And everybody knows that stuff, right? As long as that's true, then you kind of do the exact because <laughs> it's actually not about the exact nature of the thing. Because like the things that we're talking about here about like why you decide one or the other is for this like blanket idea of like what it means for somebody to be a contractor, right? Which is not really like the difference between a contractor and an employee. There's a general legal and like overall kind of cost thing involved, um, but everything else is statistics, right? Because what matters the most is who is that person and what is it that you need done. And that's a yeah. one-to-one thing that statistics don't apply to, rules don't apply to. It's just, what are you trying to do and can this person help you do it? And then what terms are required to make that happen, right? What makes the most sense to do that? That's probably the best way to think about it. Yeah. Think. Oh, well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can go to podcast.bscotch.net. We have links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.